0: that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Christian home, and at an early age, I was taught a song that many of you guys are probably familiar with, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Any of you guys grew up hearing that song? That's a good thing to hear. But the danger, if if you're not careful with, is when you hear something like that over and over, it becomes like white noise, right? Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. Let's talk about the deep stuff. Let's go to Romans and talk about sovereignty of God. And let's go to Revelation and tell me when Jesus comes back and who is the Antichrist. Like, let's move beyond something so basic like the love of Christ. And it's something that's almost like cute, the love of Jesus. And if if you grew up with kind of the um, pictures of Jesus, very feminine looking Jesus, and he has like a lamb in his in his lap. I don't know why he always has a lamb in his lap, and he's stroking. I guess he's a shepherd. I guess it makes sense, but it's still, it just kind of creates this very, like, just tame, lovey-dovey Jesus, and we were in Wisconsin this last weekend. I we just got in today for a wedding, and um, we were at the subway, and there was a card that said, Smile, Jesus Loves You, and I picked it up, and I looked at it, and it had, like, the whole, like, sinner's prayer, and all this stuff, and I, I was so mad. I was so mad. When I was about to rip shreds the owner because he was so unfriendly the place was a dump I mean I was like how dare you represent Jesus with this establishment I mean he was just so rude and and um Joanna helped me back a little bit and uh and and I think I had a holy righteous anger against him just representing Christ and the way he was carrying himself and it was really really grieved, it grieved my soul and um I uh, that's a tangent. But um uh, but 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 when I what I mean by that is you see this little card, Jesus loves you. And it's it's something that atheists and non-believers are even here, right? It's just like cute little thing, Jesus loves you. What does that mean? And this passage this last week has deeply impressed me that the love of Christ is not something that we graduate from, but something that we go deeper into. It's something that we deeper, we, we go deeper, we don't just it's not part of the checklist, and then we go on. It's, it's the center, and we keep going back and back and back. And it, it struck me afresh this week. So I want to let you know kind of where we're heading. This message is not going to be talking about the love of Christ exactly and unpacking the love of Christ, which would be very hard to do. It would take a whole sermon series. It would take a whole lifetime to do. But more of a beckoning and a calling you into the love of Christ, to join the journey to receive God's love. So here's the main point. God wants you to know the love of Christ more than you know. God wants you to know the love of Christ more than you know. What I mean by that is two ways. He wants you to know it's more than you know. He wants you to know it's so bad you don't even understand. I don't even understand how bad he wants us to understand it and receive the love of Christ. On the other hand, we don't realize how much we don't know the love of Christ. You guys following me? So on one hand, it's the intensity of his desire, of how he wants us to grasp and go deeper into his love, and the other side is us realizing that we know very little of the love of Christ. And we have, maybe many of us have a very, very kindergarten understanding of the love of Christ, and because of that, you have not been able to mature and flourish in the life Christ has for you. And so I I would imagine many of you, like me, feel like the love of Christ is something that's kind of beginner. And this week I also put out into our membership to our members and I asked, hey, how, how, who here struggles with the love of Christ and how, do, how does that, why? Like how, what are ways that you struggle with the love of Christ? And I received this last week probably nine or ten messages from people explaining reasons why they struggle that God, with God's love for them. And so we're going to tackle some of that. So we're going to talk about the passage. Then we're going to talk about what are the things that hinder us from the love of Christ, cause us not to believe. And then how do we go deeper into this love? And so, would you go to your Bibles to chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3? And we're going to start in verse 14. What I'm going to do to start off, I asked. Selena, not to pray for our time because I want to pray this passage over you. So I just, I ask that you just receive this and pray with me. For this reason, I bow my knees. I pray to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he would grant to all of us here, grant to me strength, power, to comprehend, to receive the love of Christ. That that he would strengthen our spirit in our inner being. That that we are that we would be further rooted and grounded in his love. That we would have strength with all the saints to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, the length of the love of Christ that surpasses all comprehension, all understanding. And that we would be all filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's my, my prayer for you. That's Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus and that's God's desire. And so just remember, if Paul is praying it and it's in Holy Scripture, it means that God wants this for you. He wants this for you. He wants it for me. Verse 14 starts off with this line, for this reason. And if you are a careful reader, we're going to ask ourselves naturally, what's the reason? For what reason? What is he referring to? And if you remember from Ross's sermon, Paul goes on this really long tangent from verse 2 in chapter 3 to verse 13. He's about to start doing talking and then he just goes on this whole whole little side aside. And Paul does that a few times in Ephesians, and it's a beautiful thing. He's his heart is bursting full of joy and wants to share about these different things. So if you think about this tangent he went, then really he's referring to chapter 1 and 2. Do you guys remember what happened in chapter 1 and 2? He's unpacking the mercy of God towards us. That He, the Father predestined us. Jesus redeemed us by his blood. And the Spirit has sealed us. And God has graciously brought us from death to life. And He has adopted us to be his sons and daughters. And he delights in us. It's just this beautiful picture that we have been saved by grace through faith. And so in light of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's now going to break it down. And, and I forgot to say, in the very end of chapter 2, he even talks about from uh, Travis Travis's sermon, that Jesus is tearing down the walls that separate, he, G, through Jesus, God has tore down the walls that separate us vertically from him, and horizontally with each other. And so Jew and Gentile are now united into one new race, a third race. And all the The boundaries that keep us can now be ripped to shreds because of Christ. And so because of all of this grace, all of this mercy, he now wants to pray in response to that. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Note, he's talking to the Father. He's not just talking to a person that he does not know. He's talking to family. And he's bowing. And remember, bowing denotes a sign of reverence and surrender and submission. So it's holding up the, the intimacy and the transcendence at once. So you remember, when we relate with Father, with God as a father, we're relating to both imminence and transcendence. And what I mean by that is that God is holy and we are not, and he's separate from us and high and lofty, but yet, because of Christ, he has brought us near to himself and we have access to him so we're like a, like a son, like a, a daughter who can just run up and hop into his lap and tell him how our day went. And so it's this paradoxical picture that we see throughout the New Testament is that we're able to be brought near because of the blood of Christ and yet God is holy. And it's this, this beautiful tension that we see that, that it's hard to grasp. It takes time and maturity and years in this to, to feel the weight of both at the same time. And we're going to get into that later because this is one of the issues people have with the love of God. Because if you talk about the love of God too much, you get too casual with God. Right? Or maybe not. And so Paul is praying. Look at verse 15. From... Whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is referring to this idea that He is has authority and reigns over everybody. He is the creator and all things stem from him. Now let's go to verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Do you guys remember hearing something like according to the riches before in Ephesians? Do you guys remember that? A couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, according to the riches of His grace. Good, good. Another one. According to the riches of His. Starts with the M, ends with mercy. Mercy. Great. Yes. According to the riches of His mercy. Ephesians one seven. If you want to look at it on the screen. Thank you, Joel, for serving us, brother, by doing sound and slides. You are a servant. Love you, brother. But can you get one seven up there? You did. Thank you. (laughs) You guys like that? All right. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Because God, who is rich in mercy, uh, mercy, You guys remember I talked about that? You know, some people are rich in money. God is rich in mercy. Because he has so much of it, he can give it to us. Because he's so full of grace, he can bestow it upon us. So what does it mean that he's rich in glory? If you were to study throughout the Bible this idea of glory, glory, I think what you can say, it's the sum total of all of his attributes. It's the sum total of all his mercy, all of his kindness, all of his grace, all of his power. And if you want to sum up all of God, it's out of his glory. He's rich in this glory that has everything else. And when we mean by rich, we don't mean like he has a certain amount. Like he has like a thousand of glory, whatever that means. But then if he spends it, then he's out. It's a never-ending well of riches. He's like the Federal Reserve. He can just keep printing, except it's not bad for the economy. He can just keep giving and giving and giving and giving. And out of the riches of his glory, he grants to us, Paul is asking him, because you are rich, because you're my dad, because you have sovereignty and you reign over every name, would you grant to me strength, power, through your spirit. Something we're going to see a lot throughout this passage, as we've already seen Ephesians, is the beauty of the Trinity working together. Right? Remember I talked about in chapter 1, the Father adopts us. He predestines us in, for adoption. The Son redeems us. The Spirit seals us. And in the same way in here, Paul is praying to the Father, and usually throughout the whole New Testament, you almost see all petitions to the Father. It's interesting to know. We're praying to the Father, but we're praying through what? That God would use what? His Spirit. Not just, Father, would you do this, but Father, would you use the Spirit? Would you do this through the Spirit? And so this beautiful picture of Trinity, that God the Father works with the Son and works with the Spirit, and they work in harmony, and although they're all equal, but they all play different roles, and they complement each other, and they work together to accomplish our salvation, to accomplish our sanctification, to accomplish all that they are doing on this earth together. And this passage has struck me how much we need the Holy Spirit. This whole book, do you remember a couple weeks ago when I preached on chapter 1 about the prayer? We're begging for an ability to see God for all who he is and to see all who we are in Christ. And it's only by the Spirit. And again, Paul is praying that God would use the Spirit to help him be strengthened in his inner being and what struck me about this idea of being strengthened in the inner being is how much our culture and how much i care about strengthening strengthening my outer being i mean i know i know you can't tell by looking at me but i care i care i just can't do much about it cuz my genes right and our culture puts so much money on outward strengthening whether it's our beauty or our biceps or something. How little do we care about the inner being, the inner man? And so Paul is begging that God would grant him strength by the Holy Spirit in the inner being to strengthen this. For what reason? Why? Why would you want to be strengthened in your inner being? Just to be strong? Hey, I'm strong. Did you know that? I'm strong. For a reason. This passage actually gives three reasons, and if you were to read it carefully, you're gonna see three simultaneously, simulta- uh, three consecutive thats, thats. I pray that. I pray that. I pray that. And different translations make it different, more clear or less clear, but they are, it's that's all there if you read it in the original language, and it's just very clear there. So first that. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 17, if you if you miss me. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why is he praying for that? Is he subtly like a, a Midwestern, like a Minnesotan, just like jabbing them and saying, you know, like praying for someone? Like, hey, would you pray for me? And I'm like, oh, Lord. I just pray that you'd save my brother. And you're like, what? Right? Is he subtly jabbing at them and all condemning them and saying, "Oh God, may they, you know, oh just if Ross could just only see your glory and be and know you and re- repent from his sins." And Ross's like, what? What's going on here? Right? Is is Paul subtly jabbing at them and and shunning them all? I don't think that's what he's doing. See, because earlier we know that they're sealed by the Holy Spirit according to chapter one. Right? we want to be good Bible readers. Don't, we don't want to take this verse and run with it like crazy. Oh okay so he wants Christ to dwell. This word dwell is interesting. It's not just like visit. It's make your home. Paul is praying that the Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus would make his home in us, occupy us, reign in us, fill us. So it's, it's less about salvation like the Holy Spirit is now in the Ephesians. But he's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is in you. You have been sealed. I want the Spirit of Jesus to absolutely commandeer every part of your heart to control every part of who you are. That there will be no rooms in your house if your, house was a, if your heart was a house. There will be no houses, no rooms in your house that you say, you know what? This room, not this room. That room, you can't go in. That's just for me. Jeez, these rooms. I don't really care about those. You can go in there all day you want. But everything in me is open to you. Christ, fill in me, fill me, fill my work, Fill my bed, Fill my checkbook, fill every aspect of my life, my Netflix history, my browsing history, what I do when no one is looking. Every part of me is yours, my past, my future. Paul's praying for that kind of absolute making of home, that Christ would set up shop more fully. And he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. This is interesting because rooted refers to more like roots, like a plant, and grounded, another word you could have used right here, is founded. Founded. So when you think of rooted, think about like a plant getting its roots deep and growing deeper. When you think about grounded or founded, think about more of like a building, like a foundation. So Paul is using both these kind of metaphors, mixing them to just present this picture that what does it mean that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith? Well, it means that you would be further rooted in his love. That the roots wouldn't just start, but they would go deeper and deeper into his love. And that you would be founded on that love. And then Paul prays that we would have strength to comprehend. Again, you remember he's praying for power. And first he's praying for power to strengthen our inner being for what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts. He would he would reign and fill us to the max. And that, and then also that he would strengthen us so that we could comprehend. The incomprehensible. Isn't that kind of ridiculous? Paul's praying, hey, I want you to understand something you're not going to understand. What is that? I don't think he's saying that you're not going to understand this. What do I mean by that? In verse, um, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's trying to set this trajectory, this picture of how great this love is. And that there's so much more to have. He's not saying it that it's so high that don't even try. He's saying it's so high, there's more. Come on in. There's more to be had. You don't want to just stay at the door. Hey, you know, it's like someone coming to a, a mansion and saying, wow, your house is so great. And they're just in the lobby and they just stay there. You're like, come on in, there's more. There's more. I want you to experience more of what I have here. And that's what I think Paul is calling us into, that God ultimately is calling us into. There's more to be had here. And it's a beautiful thing because right here is talking about the love of Christ. And then the very end of the passage, verse 19, it talks about the fullness of God. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 17 talks about, us being dwelled with Christ. Verse 19 talks about us being filled with the fullness of God. And what's right in between both of those? The love of Christ. Let me let me, let me say that one more time because this is, a, this is a sandwich right here. We got the top sandwich layer. It's talking about being dwelt by the spirit of Jesus, by Christ. Then comes the meat and cheese, the love of Christ. And then the bottom piece of bread, the fullness of God. And I'm going to tell you why that's significant in a minute. Paul has just spent several chapters in one and two unpacking all that God has done for us. And the reason why I highlighted verse 14 about talking about for this reason and trying to connect it to the context, I'm not just saying that because it's like academic and smart or whatever. But what I'm trying to highlight, is if you want to sum up what God has done in chapter 1 and 2, you sum it up with love. That, why did God do that? Because he loved. And I just want to go on a tangent real quick, because I feel like sometimes in our, cult, in our circles, we can be afraid of the love of God, because it, because it may diminish the glory of God. Why did God do all this? Because of his glory. Isn't that the right Sunday school answer, Right? But it is his glory to love us. Because he has first loved within the Trinity, he loves to love others. He wants to share that. Before time began, they're like, we want to share this love with others. So that he created man, and now he pours that, that love, and it's to his glory. It makes much of him to share that love with us. And so if you want to sum up chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's love. And we need to understand the love and we need to be comfortable and at home with the love of Christ. Because for the next few chapters, for the rest of this series in Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 4 through 6. That's going to be do, We're going to be doing a lot of talking about what to do now. What Christ calls us to do. And the danger is that if we don't grasp the love of God, we're going to feel very legalistic here. A lot of us are going to feel beat up and feel shame. I just can't do that, man. And that's why we're going to have to, all the preachers, we're going to try to constantly call us back to the love of Christ and what God has done for us and done to us and so that we can better understand what he wants to do through us. So typically Ephesians is broken up, chapters 1 through 3, is all about what God has done for us and to us, and now the rest of the book is going to be what he wants to do through us. And I just want to say that we have to grasp this or we're going to be crushed. If we preach this book right, you won't. But we want to be so careful, guys, that we are grounded and founded in this love. So that when we talk about what we're called to do, it's as a response of his love. It's out of his love by the Spirit and not because we're trying to accept his, try to get his love. You know what I'm saying? That would have been a lot smoother if I didn't stumble my words. Thanks for the amen, man. May your tribe increase. We want some ameners in this church. So if you're an amener and you're a visitor, you can stay. All right? Um, there's two ditches of love that I that I think are so common. It's hyper-experientialism. It's a, it's a long word, experientialism, and hyper-intellectualism. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it's the love, I grew up in a culture where the love of God was emphasized a lot. We didn't talk really much about it, but we just, we talked a lot about it. Like, we didn't go deep into it, we just talked about it a lot. And we'd say stuff like, oh, we want to feel the love of God, and we'd pray, and we'd have worship. We'd be like, oh, God, would we all, tre- you know, encounter your love and feel your love. And But we didn't know what we were talking about. We just talked about love. Like, this, just like, it's almost like a floating gas. Like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling the love today, right? It's like this is emotional feeling. And if you grew up around that, you, you may have been jaded eventually because those feelings can come and go really fast. And they do not help in the day of trial if you don't have it concretely attached to something real, right? And the, the moment depression hits you, a phone call hits you, that something happened to someone you love, that love, that feeling goes. And we can have a real fear of Grounding our whole community in just feelings. And maybe if you're visiting, you're like, oh, is this one of those churches? It's all about feeling. But let me tell you this. Look at 1 John 14, 15. 1 John 14, 15. Sorry, John 14, 15. Yeah, we have different Bibles here. John 14, 15. It's on the screen too. Sometimes we fear the love of Christ is going to lead us to an abandonment to obedience to the law to something called licentiousness or a license to do whatever you want. But re- remember John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And look at 1 John 4, 8. We love because he first loved us. See the logic there? Because he loves us, we then love him. And according to John 14, 15, if we love him, we will do what? keep his commands so the love of God should not keep us from obeying the commandments of God it should fuel us to go deeper into obedience and following Jesus and so if there is a lack of obedience something is messed up with our understanding of the love of God something is broken and so we should not be afraid of love or any of the emotion that can result from love and, and I would argue should result from love the emotion that comes but we should press into it deeper and not be reactionary. Hyperintellectualism is that we misunderstand the glory of God. We, we, we are afraid that if we if we get away from thinking perfectly about the love of God, that we are going to betray the text. And in doing that, sometimes we can destroy any encounter with the love of God. And I think that is something that can often be experience among our culture uh, especially in our circles in Bethlehem is that we're so committed to thinking rightly about God is that we avoid any feeling about God which is doesn't make any sense because right feeling should result in right thinking and they're tied together I want to highlight from this passage that God is calling you to know his love more first of all There's more to know. If you think the love of Christ is something so basic, I just want you to hear from this passage. There's more to have. There's more to know. And if Paul is praying this, it means that God wants you to have this. And so God is saying right now to you, because I'm a mouthpiece for him, if I'm being accurate with this text, that God wants you to know his love more. And if I can speak for him in the first person, I want you to know my love more. I want you to know it more. And that we should want to have this love. And if you do not feel drawn to want more of this love and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and something is off and we'd love to walk with you in your journey of discovery, figuring that out. God wants you to know the love of Christ more than you know. Let's look at this. One line in verse 18, with all the saints. We want to have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What does he mean with all the saints? Is he saying, is Paul saying, hey, I want all the saints to comprehend this? Or is he saying to comprehend the love, you need all the saints? Yes. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Yes. So I, I've always taken this passage to just say that Paul wants all Christians to get this love. But scholar after scholar, this the this, last couple of weeks that I've been reading, constantly highlighting, and it totally makes sense if you look at the language, is that you need the whole community, you need all of God's people, if you want to understand the depths of God's love. And so it's not just something you do on your own. Hey, where are you going, Sam? Going to a mountain? What are you going to do? I'm going to understand the love of God. And you you could do that, and you should probably do that. Solitude is a healthy discipline that God calls to. But if that's all you do, see you in 10 years, that would be unhealthy. And I would say that person is going to minimize, miss out on great levels of the love of God by doing it on their own. Because we need the community of God to understand the love of God. It's the community of God that reveals the full manifold wisdom of his love. And every one of us in the church who are truly part of the church have different gifts, different bents, and we need each other to highlight the love of God in ways that you may never experience by yourself or even just by your spouse. And many of us here who have been who are married probably know how much more we understand the love of Christ if you're married to a Christian spouse because of that person that you would have never experienced on your own. Likewise, Think about how we understand the love of Christ in all of a community. You got people who are extroverts, you got people who are introverts, you got people who come from really broken, addicted backgrounds, you got people who grew up from really, really squeaky clean homes and were taught the right things. Praise God for that. And you got people who come from an Asian background, African background, all kinds of backgrounds, all coming with different wirings, different bents, who are gonna see the love of Christ in here and experience it and show it in ways that we may not see it on our own. And so if you want to understand the love of Christ more, you need the community of Christ. And I want to welcome you to discover and join us on this journey of knowing the love of Christ more together with our church. That was really helpful for me this week. And also we see the love of Christ with our community kind of like what we did in family talk of how people throughout our community have been serving one another. And you're seeing the love of Christ put on clothes. <laughs> like You're seeing it fleshed out. This language, the height, the depth, I've, I've read some scholars that talk about, like, hey, the height is this, the depth is this, the breadth is this, the length is this. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, Psalm 103, 11, if you want to turn to it real quick. I love this psalm. Oh, man, I love it. I love it so much I don't have it memorized perfectly. So I'm going to turn to it. But this one is worth going to, Psalms 103. If you're not familiar with the Bible, um, it's right in the middle of the of this book. And it's going to be on the screen. Psalm 103, 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isn't that one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible? And if you feel the your weight of sin today, this is this is for you. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so far, his, so great is his steadfast love towards us. Do you see what he's doing? Like, there's no, no distance that you can quantify between heaven and earth. He's saying that's how his love is towards you. And if you want to think about how great our sin is, it's not as great as his mercy. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? <laughs> can they ever meet? It's like, it's like- There, it, you cannot quantify that. And he loves us so much that he removes our transgressions from us. And this is probably, the, the, in my mind, the closest text I can think of in the Old Testament that connects to this. The height, the depth, the width, the length, the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. But basically what Paul is trying to highlight is the magnitude, the unsearchable greatness, the riches, all these kind of adjectives. I'm going to run out because my vocabulary is limited. And Paul's is too but he's just trying to highlight, man, this love is so much more than you know. And maybe you feel that his love has been very, very basic and simple and trite, and you could just even quietly repent. Lord, forgive me for seeing your love is so small. There's more. There's more. There's more. Finally, so that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. When you see a number of that, often the last one is kind of the cumulative one. It sums up everything. What is he all leading to? It's kind of like this ladder and every step goes further and further. What's the final step? He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. What does that mean? What does that mean to be filled with the fullness of God? I think this line has been one that I've heard enough times where it just kind of goes, yeah, oh, Lord, I be would pray that I would be prayed with, filled with the fullness of God. I don't even know what I'm praying. What am I praying for? actually really terrifying What i'm praying for i want the cumulative glory of who god is to fill all of who i am i want all of the character of christ to fulfill fill me and transform my character to become like him i want his thoughts to be my thoughts i want the way he feels towards brokenness is the way i want to feel towards brokenness i want all of who god is to be all of who i am it's absolute abandonment to him i want all of god If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul used similar language. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maturity, Christ-likeness. That's the fullness of God. And if you also look at Colossians one, um, I'm just throwing this out there. Colossians one talks about all of the deity filled Christ bodily, the fullness of God. That same language in, in Greek is gonna is also the one in Ephesians and in Colossians chapter one. So this idea that all of God filled all of Christ. And so in the same way, God incarnated as Christ, we want to be incarnate, we want to be filled, not incarnate. Please forgive me. We want to be filled with all the fullness that Christ had. And so this is just a cumulative call for everything of God. All that you are, God, I want that. I want that. And it's kind of like this. Later on in chapter 5, we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit. And being filled and asking to be filled more Sounds kind of silly, right? If you're filled, how can you be filled more, right? You got a glass of water, you fill it with water, and you're like, fill me more. And you're like, but dude, you're already filled, right? And so a helpful way to think about it is this. If you go out to the lake, like my family did a ton this last summer, and you take one of our sand toy buckets, we can fill that bucket up with water. Is it full? Oh, yeah, it is. But could you also take a giant bathtub if you had the strength and fill that up too see the bathtub is full the bucket's full both are full but one is more full Wayne Grudem one theologian talks about being filled like a balloon you take a balloon blow it a little bit it's full but can it be filled more it could right until it bursts but that all illustrations fall apart right and so what we're what Paul is praying for in chapter 5 and praying for in chapter 3 is that you're filled with God, but there's greater capacity. And God wants to fill you with more. I, I was wrestling, God, what's the main point in this passage? And one of the things that I thought it was going to be, it's part of it, but just to say to you guys that God wants more for you. God has more for you of himself. There's more. There's more. I, just, I, I thought that was just the word that came. There's more. There's more. There's more. Don't settle for little. Don't settle for crumbs. There's more. He wants to fill us. He wants to increase our capacity for more of him, more of his thoughts, more of his heart. And it's interesting because in chapter 2, you remember it talked about this temple language? Chapter 2, verse 1, verse 22, there was this language about temple. When you think about temple and you think about filling, it makes sense. right? You remember, in the Old Testament, when the temple is dedicated, it was filled with the glory of God to where the priest couldn't even enter in. In that same way, we want to be filled with the glory of God. We want to be filled in a similar manner. We want our church to be filled. And cumulatively, together, we house the glory of God in a way that would be unique. Now, I want to talk about the hindrances to the love of God. What? What? Why is it so hard to understand the love of God? These are not in any particular order. But one, here's one. I think laziness. Laziness. I don't want to know the love of Christ because it t- takes time to think about the love of Christ. You know what I want? I want the matrix, right? We've been talking about the, we have been talked about the matrix the other day. Sadly, i got to talk about it again because I, I don't know any other time, I, I, any other illustration that fits. But if you ever watch the movie The Matrix, if he wants to learn kung fu, he just sits in a chair. They put this thing in his head, and like in a second, he's like, I know kung fu, right? We want that, right? So, Lord, give me the love of Christ. I'm going to pray one time and one time only. Now give it to me, right? Right, But to, to grow into the love of Christ takes community, It takes time in the book, it takes time meditation, it takes time living life to go deeper into the depths of the love of Christ. And if I want to be honest with you guys, I don't want to do that because it's easier just to put on Netflix and watch my favorite show. Anyone? A- any other people? Honest? Got two people. Yes, the two pastors. Oh, no. All right. Only us. All right. Some more confessors. Amen. Amen. The Lord is doing a work. There's a laziness to wanting to go deeper into the love of God because it's just easier not to. Two, I think we really struggle with the love of God is because we've grown up with conditions for the love of God. I remember in this one program I was part of, we had this game that we played on people's birthday. It was called I Love You Because. <laughs> it's so stupid now, but it, it's sweet, but totally wrong. All right, We would take a chair, we would put it in between us, and we'd all sit around like a cult, circling this person and make them very awkward. And they would sit in the hot seat and we'd go around and all share, I love you because of this, right? I love you because you are so kind. I love you because you have a voice of an angel. I love you because of your cooking. I love you because you are whatever. And the person walked away feeling very loved and very encouraged and honored. But you know what they always, probably always felt like when they walked away? A burden. I gotta keep that up. Dang, I just ran out of recipes. Right? I gotta find more, right? Oh man, my voice hurts this week. You know, whatever it is. Like, uh, it, there's a sense now I have to perform because my performance is what earned your love. And I think because our culture operates in love that way, we rarely just say, I love you. I was like, and, right? One, one person messaged me this week and she said her dad. Whenever anyone said, I love you, he would always be like, okay, why? <laughs> He'd, like, force them. It'd be, like, kind of an awkward thing. Like, tell me now. <laughs> because you're so forward. <laughs> That's why, right? But, like, she grew up in a culture where there had to be a reason for love. And I think all of us have been influenced by that at some level. And all of us have probably had parents who were more excited when you did good things, Right? Oh, my gosh, I love you so much because you did all this stuff, and I feel that real. I mean, like, there's some of my kids, honestly, who listen more, and they do more stuff, and, and I may feel more love towards them, right? And so I, I could subtly be conditioning my kids to operate in that same way towards God. I think a lot of us struggle with that. Three, it's humbling. To receive the love of God just because he loves you is deeply humbling. I love you because I've chosen to love you. If you look at Deuteronomy 7, that kind of mindset, I love you because I chose to love you is very stripping because we want to say it's because of this or that. Another one is I struggle with the love of God because I don't feel the love of God. Anyone here struggle with, hey, I don't feel loved by God? And I think I remember for maybe close to a decade, I struggled with that deeply. I would go through crisis moments where I'd come back from a conference or come back from a really great service. And I'd be like, man, I feel so loved. And all of a sudden, a couple of days later, I like don't feel loved. And I'm like, crisis mode. Like, oh, God, where are you? Where art thou? Where art thou? Right? Where'd you go? Right? And love is based on an emotion, rather based on a reality. And that's why it's so beautiful that the most famous verse that we know, John three sixteen, is God loved the world in this way. So he's talking about in this way. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son, right? So how do you know that God loves you Is he demonstrates it with action? He'd just be like, oh, I love you. I love you and I love you just because I say I love you. I love you and I show it to you unto death. It's a beautiful thing, but there's more to talk about this. I'm, I'm doing a sprint through these, through these uh, reasons why we struggle with the love of God. Not conclusive at all. Another thing is that we struggle with the love of God when we sin, because we all sin. How could God love me? And so then we put ourselves in a penalty box and we try to earn our way and do enough good things and have a longer streak to not fall into that sin until we feel like we're worthy of his love. So again, we're operating under worthy of love. You're you're not worthy of his love. He's chosen to love you. Not because you're good enough, but because he's chosen to love you. Another one is that we stir with the love of God when times are tough. So like if you have a really good day, And, like, things are clicking. you got a race. It's bright outside. Sun's shining. Everything's working. You're like, man, God is good. Scratch that. You get a bad, you get a, you get fired. The day is cold and dreary, like right now. And things aren't working well. And you're like, man, where's God? God doesn't love me. And so we operate our love based on how well our day's going and how well things are going in our life. Which if, if, if you operate that way, that will crush you. Because in this broken life, without Christ reigning on his throne on this earth, that is our reality until he comes back. And finally, we struggle with God's love because we feel the reality and the gravity of his holiness. How could a God that is that holy love us? And that is a good feeling to, to have. Only if it leads you to deeper great gratitude for his love. Despite your holiness, you love me? No way. But if you just stay in there, oh, God, you're holy and I'm not, you're great and I'm wicked, then you're just going to just live in despair and God does not want that for you. I, w- I want to highlight again in this passage that the greatness of the fullness of God is kind of the final thing that Paul is praying for, the last step. But to get to that, you need what? What's the middle of the sandwich? The love of Christ. So if you want the fullness of God, you have to go through the love of God. And I want to highlight that and just pound that by the grace of God into our hearts, is because trying to grow in maturity and being all that God has for us as disciples and all of the Holy Spirit filling us, the love of God is not something that's just auxiliary. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's 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 like level A, and then you need B, C, C. It's it's central, it's the key. If you want maturity, you need more of the love of Christ. And I hope we got that, get that from this passage. So finally, what are the next steps that we do if you want to grow in the love of Christ? One, you, you, we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to ask. And we have to commit ourselves to the hard work of growing into the love of Christ. We have to pray and depend on the Spirit. I, I, I would encourage you this week to take this passage and pray it over yourself. Pray Ephesians 3. Pray it over me. If you want me to serve you well as a pastor, if you want, to, you want Ross to serve you well, pray these passages over us. Keep digging into the Bible. Keep digging into theology. We're, we're doing that together as a community. Keep pressing in, into community and seeing love. I mean, we're going to, Charlotte just moved into our home over the weekend. And then TK is going to be moving in next month and I think Annie. And we're going to have lots of opportunities to mess up and to, And to fail each other and lots of opportunities to show the love of God. Press into community and you're going to see it. And finally, and this is the one that hurts, is that you're going to have to cleanse some idols out of the temple of your heart. To increase in love with one necessitates, necessitates that you reduce love for others. And what I mean by that, is not to say that you have to stop loving somebody like, oh, I love Rasa, therefore I now love my wife less. But what I'm talking about is when we love idols. Love those in our hearts that are competing with our affections for Christ. Love those who are competing for rulership over our hearts. And so it's just like if I were to, when I first started dating Joanna, for me to increase in my love for her and my intimacy with her, I had to say no to any other options. And if I still had those options, uh, I think I think um, younger people call it side chicks, right? Is that what they call it, side chicks? If I had side chicks, um, I just learned that word like a couple like a year ago, right? If I had side chicks, Joanna would not reveal more of her heart to me. My ability to go into the depths of her love and to know her deeply would be hindered. And so if there are other other lovers in your life, other idols, other sins, pet sins that you won't let go of, you will only go so far in the love of Christ because he knows that you love those things more than him. And he will not have any other competitors for his heart. And so if that's you, whether it's something that is explicitly evil, substance abuse or pornography or something very, very clearly evil or wrong, or it's something subtle like you idolize a spouse or a job, or something that is good but can be tainted. If those are competing, you will never have the fullness of the love of Christ. And so I just welcome you. God wants you to have his love. He loves you, and he wants you to have that, but only if you give up. Only if you give up. If you want his love, you have to give up these lesser loves. To say yes to the greatest love, you have to say no to the lower loves. The problem is we love those lower loves so much, Right? We love them so much. We relish in them, and we know that we know theoretically, we know in our head that His love is greater. But we just can't give up this love, this little thing. It's so precious to us. We're so comfortable. We know it, even though it kills us, and we know it kills us. It keeps putting us back into square one. We, we, we. we it's all we know. So we hold on to that love. And I just, I'm just, I'm just welcome you to give up that love for a greater love. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Christ loves you. And he doesn't just say it like all of us have heard people in our lives who say it and don't live it and betray with their very actions. But he loves you unto death. Who is like him to love us and to keep loving us even when we run? To keep loving us even though we don't really bring up bring him anything. But to love us. Who is like him? Let's reflect on that and pray. Just welcome... Uh, Levi to come up, just encourage you to to reflect and confess if you have other lovers in your life that are keeping you from the greatest love, and maybe you just want to commit to God to go deeper into the love of God. God, I've been very lazy about knowing you, very casual, but all of us here, we know that to have a healthy relationship takes work. And yet we think that our relationship with you is in another category. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grant to us strength. Strengthen our inner being so that we can pursue your love. So that we can know your love, the love that surpasses all understanding. So that we can be filled with fullness of God, so that you can dwell in our hearts through faith, Jesus. And so Jesus, inhabit us right now. Make your home in us. If there's anything in our lives that keep us from you, drive them out. Lord, the things in our life that we love and we can't give up, it feels like they're so comfortable even though we hate it. Lord, I pray that you would help us let go by your Spirit. Show us that your love is better. It is. We know it, but we don't feel it sometimes. Would you just reveal that your love is better than life? That though we may lose everything in this world, our riches or the lack thereof, our health, our family members. If we have you, we have everything. And so would you reveal that your love is worthy of giving up everything? That there be no rooms in our hearts that would be closed to your love, that would be closed to your reign. Would you just cleanse house right now so that we can have more of you? Not just so that we can be holy for holiness sake, but so that we can be nearer to you. And so God, may the love of God, may your love cleanse us and draw us near to us, to you. In Jesus' name, amen.